Hi, welcome to the Times of Israel's Daily Briefing. It is Thursday, January 5th, and I'm Jessica Steinberg. I'm joined today by political correspondent Jacob Magid and U.S. reporter Luke Dress. Hello to you both. Hey, Jessica. Hi, Jessica. Hey there. So what do we have today? We've got several reports regarding the UN and Israel, including the Security Council meeting regarding, an upcoming meeting regarding Ben Gvir's Temple Mount visit on Tuesday, a top Biden aid visit to Israel, and a campaign against the New York Times ultra-Orthodox yeshiva coverage. Before we jump into it all, we're going to take a quick break. Okay, Jacob, so we discussed on Tuesday whether National Security Minister Itamar Ben-Gvir would go up to the Temple Mount on what was a minor fast day. He said he wouldn't, and then he did. And now the UN Security Council is convening an emergency meeting about it. So you're smiling. What do you have to say? Yeah, uh, I guess he fooled everyone. Um, So the UN Security Council will convene this emergency session on Thursday at 3 p.m. local time to discuss developments on the Haram al-Sharif Temple Mount, a.k.a. Bengvir's visit. It was uh, formally requested by the UAE and China, members of the Security Council, on behalf of the Palestinian and the Jordanian missions to the UN. The international community argues that the visit represents a gross violation of the status quo on the Temple Mount, under which um, Muslims are allowed to visit and pray, and non-Muslims are only allowed to visit. Israel insists this is not the case, and it argues that it preserves the status quo on the Temple Mount that bars Jewish prayer. But Ben Gvir kind of put a dent in that effort when he told Channel 12 um, a couple nights ago that everyone knows that Jewish prayer has been quietly allowed in recent years. Netanyahu's office has also argued, and they're going to argue at the UN uh, with uh, Gilad Erdan uh, giving a speech there, that the other ministers in the past have visited, and, and this is not a real any change. Again, the same continuing the status quo. But I think others argue that Ben Gvir is not just any other minister. He's a self-described Kahanist, a longtime provocateur, and someone who's very adamantly argued in favor of changing the status quo. He's even been allegedly caught trying to help others sacrifice a goat for Passover um, on the Temple Mount. So he's definitely someone who's, I think, represents something else for a lot of other people when he goes up there. Now, the meeting, I would say, is unlikely to result at the Security Council in some sort of concrete action or even formal condemnation of Israel. There have been times where members have sought joint statements condemning um, certain moves taken by Israel, but even those, that's like a step under uh, a, a more serious resolution that's binding. But even joint statements, the U.S. in the past has moved to block and not allowed those to move forward. But it still highlights... I think this significant international disapproval of the of the visit. We had the U.S. give several statements against it. Um, the U.K., France, Saudi Arabia, UAE, Bahrain, Qatar, Kuwait, Turkey, Egypt, Jordan, the Palestinian Authority. So pretty much the whole Middle East. Um, not too big fans of it. The, the U.S. had several officials speak out. I think warning that it could exacerbate ch- tensions. To be fair, though, these statements weren't sought out. I think the U.S. is not looking to deal with this issue. But when they hold these press briefings every day, so anyone's able to ask a question and... That question was asked. Exactly. At the the White House and at the State Department um, and other... Actually, I think the Defense Department as well. So, and they they gave their their standard line about it. And then everyone says, okay, the U.S. is condemning Israel. Um, But I think there is some real frustration given the fact that the U.S. officials over the past couple of weeks have said that we kind of have just two main red lines with this new government. We really don't want to get into a public fight, but please don't 
do things to ruffle feathers on the issue of the Temple Mount status quo and don't annex the West Bank. And in less than a week, they're kind of dealing with one of these two issues. Um, so I think that's where kind of this frustration stems from. Okay. So, and then along similar lines, Luke, you've also got pieces about the UN condemning Israel more than all other countries in 2022 and moving ahead on a resolution to weigh in on the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. So tell us a little bit about what we're seeing with that, with those two issues on the table. So on Friday, the UN General Assembly passed a resolution that will call on the International Court of Justice, which is the UN's top court for mediating between countries. It called on the court to weigh in on the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. And um, this hasn't happened since 2004. They're asking the court to weigh in on Israeli activities in the occupied territories, they say, settlements and annexation, which hasn't happened in the West Bank yet, but that's the language they use. Also um, asked them to look into the situation in Jerusalem. It passed many more votes in favor than against, 87 to 26 against, but there were a lot of abstentions. So it was overall a closer vote than than usual at the General Assembly for anti-Israel stuff. Um, all of Israel's Arab and Muslim allies voted in favor. Ukraine did not vote, which they supported this resolution earlier in the year, which caused a, a fight between the two countries. So they sat this one out. It um, Israel has condemned it as part of the ongoing anti-Israel bias and focus at the UN. It also refers to Temple Mount only as Haram al-Sharif, like only by its Arabic name, which Israel sees as an insult and negating Jewish ties. And they also held a vote on Shabbat, which Israel criticized them for. Netanyahu called the vote despicable. Um, the Palestinians are happy about it. It's unclear if Israel will comply with the investigation, and it's, it's going to take a while. There's a long process before the court will do anything. Do we think the timing of this is connected at all to the previous topic? In other words, that we've that we've got this now emergency meeting of the UN Security Council. It seems like there's a lot that's heating up on the UN front. This vote was approved in a UN committee a few months ago, so it's it's not directly tied to the new government. Just kind of it's it's been it's been 18 years since the last court. But of course, the new government is going to antagonize the international community. It's 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 probably going to do things that the court is critical of and will be looking into. So it's not going to contribute to this process in Israel's favor. And so this this resolution, which passed the General Assembly on Friday, was the last of the year against Israel at the General Assembly. It was the 15th anti-Israel resolution there this year. And that's far more than any other country, and it's more than all other countries combined. So there was 15 anti-Israel resolutions at the General Assembly and 13 against all other countries combined. The next most was Russia, which had six due to its war in Ukraine. No other country even came close. Is that what you're trying to say? No other country even came close. China had zero despite its treatment of the Uyghurs. And so it just contr it contributes to this view that the o the UN is just both the General Assembly and the Human Rights Council and two investigations against Israel. The UN as a whole, it, it contributes to this view that it's just really overwhelmingly and unfairly focused on Israel. Mm -hmm. 
Is there any chat that either one of you know about on the sidelines or behind the scenes that sort of throwing their hands up, you know, and saying, what are we really supposed to do with this? Is there any other kind of reaction that takes place with regard to any of this? Jacob? Um, No, I think a lot of countries actually, especially in the Arab world, even though they are warming ties with Israel, be it the UAE or Bahrain or Morocco or some of these other countries or even Saudi Arabia, um, I think they use the UN as as a tool to kind of speak out of the other end of their mouth to their publics at home to say, look, we haven't really given up on the Palestinian cause, even though you might see us be uh, warming ties with Israel on other other ends. I think they really enjoy the fact that the UN is able to, where they're able to rely on their old talking points regarding Israel and the Palestinians. Right. Interesting. Okay. Thanks for that. We're going to take a quick break. When we're back, we will talk about National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan coming to Jerusalem. Okay. So, Jacob, tell us about this planned trip that's happening. President Joe Biden is sending Sullivan to Jerusalem to check up on things, it seems like, uh, with the new government. What specifically do you think will be looked at most carefully? Yeah. um, So there's no date set for this visit. It's still being planned. Um, I think it was kind of prematurely leaked. And now they're being forced to confirm that that it's it's in the works, but nothing's really set in stone yet. They haven't bought their ticket yet. I don't think he really needs to buy. But um, (laughs) (laughs) he'll be heading over some point in mid-January is the expectation and for meetings with several senior Israeli officials. The growing concern in the U.S. is regarding what the next government plans to do in the West Bank, given their coalition deals that call for significant expansion of settlements in the West Bank, legalization of wildcat outposts throughout the West Bank, and principled support for annexation. Um, we don't know what that really will look like. I think Netanyahu will probably block it in order to try to get some sort of normalization deal with Saudi Arabia that he still thinks is possible. But there's still a lot that can be done in in the interim um, and can do some what, what's quote-unquote seen as de facto annexation moves. So Sullivan, I think, will be looking for answers on what the government actually plans to do in meetings with Netanyahu, his new counterpart, Sachi Hanegbi, who, will be Israel, who is Israel's new National Security Council chairman, Ron Dermer, who is seen as the point person for ties with the White House and likely others and maybe the security establishment. Netanyahu will try to look at these meetings as an opportunity to discuss Iran and try to push for the U.S. to have some what's what's known as a plan B option, given that the, the nuclear talks have failed. I don't necessarily think that the U.S. is ready to give up on the talks, even though they say that they're not working on them right now. And then I'll also, again, just look, Netanyahu will try to discuss uh, efforts to normalize with Saudi Arabia and what the U.S. can do to help bring that process along. Um, he's also probably going to push to see uh, some sort of some sort of invitation for his own visit to to Washington, maybe in February or in in the coming months. I think he, he looks that as a really important part of his foreign policy. Um, so those issues will be in the agenda. I think also Sullivan will likely want to talk about Russia and the invasion of Ukraine, and with the U.S. hoping that the Israel will play a more active role in supporting. Ukraine it currently only does humanitarian aid. I think the U.S. and U- Ukraine would like to see also maybe some sort of uh, military uh, support as well. But we're not likely to see that with um, foreign minister, new foreign minister Ali Cohn indicating that that's not the plan, that Israel's going to speak a lot less about Ukraine um, and maybe do stuff behind the scenes. But, but I think maybe a more 
stance swinging back toward neutral or toward Russia as opposed to toward Ukraine as it had been going under the previous government. And that's a stance that's really frustrated, not just, I think, uh, Democrats, but, but Republicans as well. And we saw Lindsey Graham a couple of days ago, the Republican senator who's known as a real stalwart supporter of Israel, came out and became the first Republican uh, lawmaker to criticize the new government, saying that this this policy of speaking quietly about Ukraine and not calling about Russia and not calling out Russia for war crimes, that's going to be proven to be something that you're going to regret eventually. And and the U.S. expects its allies that it's uh, giving billions of dollars to every year to line up behind it on its main foreign policy agenda issue, as opposed to what Israel is doing. We're trying to kind of dance at both weddings, given its given its interest in Syria. So I think it was an interesting comment by Lindsey Graham. Um, Again, not someone who's ever been criticized as being anti-Israel, um, being so quick to express his frustration with the government. Given Lindsey Graham's comments about Israel and Russia, uh, and of course, which really has to do a lot with the new foreign minister, Ellie Cohen, do you feel like that's laying the groundwork about what the relationship will be like? Or is it just, really, is it just about Israel, Russia, Ukraine, U.S.? No, I, I think that there's some real concerns in Washington on both in both parties. Um, regarding this government, even conservatives, I think, are somewhat uncomfortable with uh, the the more orthodox elements and ultra-orthodox elements of this government that um, I think really are at odds with various issues. I do think, though, with, with in the case of Cohen, he's foreign minister and he's only there for for a year right now, and then there's a rotation. And Netanyahu has never been one to really allow his foreign ministers to have any say in these kinds of issues. I think he kind of runs point on foreign policy and definitely on Russia. And he likes to tout his relationship with Putin. So I, I wouldn't get too carried away as Lindsey Graham seems to be doing with what the comments of a foreign minister who likely his power is going to be limited in this, this next government. Okay, thanks for that. And Luke, speaking of ultra-Orthodox, uh, we've got the ultra-Orthodox group Agudath Israel that is protesting the New York Times coverage of yeshivas, to be clear, ultra-Orthodox yeshivas. Correct? How is that playing out right now? So Agudath Israel of America, um, kind of the U.S. umbrella organization for Orthodox communities, they launched a campaign this week called Know Us, which is trying to push back against the New York Times. So the Times has had this just series of articles in the past few months that is really going after the yeshiva system, uh, mostly Hasidic yeshivas in New York and New York City area. They say the the Times says these yeshivas don't provide secular education as they're required to do by the state. They kind of exploit public funding and contribute to poverty in the communities, among among other things. Um, the community has just really been furious about this coverage. They say it's defamatory, it's unfair, bigoted. It's kind of putting too much focus on the yeshiva system and, and neglecting other issues, including a lot of problems in New York public schools. So Agudath uh, launched this campaign this week to kind of present another narrative to the New York Times coverage. So they say most people in the U.S., not just in New York, the New York Times is read all over the U.S. So they say most people don't know any Orthodox Jews and they don't know the community. So their impression comes from media coverage and TV and movies. So their their impression of our community is just coming from critical media coverage. Um, like, And there was also an article recently by the Times about like, 
this beautiful array of religions in New York, and it completely omitted Hasidic Jews despite all the critical coverage of them. So they're kind of saying, like, they're presenting this one-sided image of us, and we want to present a counter-narrative. So they're launching this big campaign. There's um, a website, social media outreach. They're putting up billboards in some prominent areas of New York City and around New York City. And they released uh, this white paper report that's refuting what they say is their refutation of the New York Times coverage. Some of the leadership has actually met with New York Times editors. There's been a lot of public criticism from community leaders. And the New York Times is essentially staying the course. They haven't really responded to the criticism so much in any way that I know of. Um, and and yeah, in, in response to the New York Times, there's just been like community leaders, a lot of organizations, uh, the, the Orthodox organizations are really angry about this coverage. So thank you, Jacob. And thank you, Luke, for being on today's Daily Briefing. We'll be back on Sunday with another Daily Briefing. And we have a Times Will Tell, a new one coming out on Friday. In the meantime, have yourselves a good day and a good listen. Bye. Thank you, Jessica. Thanks for listening to the Times of Israel's Daily Briefing. And thanks to our producer, Gilad Brownstein, and to Gili Amar for this out-of-this-world music. You can find us daily wherever you find your podcasts. And on our mothership, timesofisrael.com. Like what you hear? Consider rating us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify to spread the word. And be sure to check out our weekly feature, Times Will Tell, released every Friday. Until next time, Shalom. Shalom.